Good morning, church. The psalmist wrote, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's a good day to be in the house. God is good. And all the time. And that is his nature. You thought I wasn't going to do it because he did it? You don't know me very well. I'll do what I want. Uh, I'm going to be uh, preaching today on uh, shame and guilt. Uh, I've been gone a few weeks. I was, I was away on a very hard uh, course with the military. I worked for the, at the Navy. I was gone uh, to Nova Scotia for a few weeks, and I just tried to survive, uh, but I got through it, praise God. And then uh, my family and I went on a vacation, and I had to preach wherever I was vacationing, so we were pre uh, preaching and vacationing in uh, Sudbury and in Sault Ste. Marie the last two weeks. And uh, so we, I was able to uh, go visit everybody and visit some of our friends in ministry, and we've had a great time. Um, I'm excited to uh, speak about shame and guilt. I think that, uh, that this is going to be an eye-opener for everybody because, you know, sometimes I, when I, when I uh, write a message or when I construct a sermon, I really take all the things that I know, and I just try to learn a little bit more and try to get a bit more in depth. But when I was really doing this one and studying, there was a lot of things that even God was opening my eyes to. Uh, so if none of you get anything, I don't really care because I got a lot out of this. So I'm a changed man after uh, uh, spending time with the, in the Word and with the Spirit. Um, you know, shame and guilt are feelings. They're a natural response to the reality that we're living in. And uh, shame isn't necessarily, and guilt isn't necessarily a sinful thing. Uh, how many people know sometimes people need a bit more shame in their life, start living a little bit better? Yeah, Jeremiah, actually, there's a Bible verse where in Jeremiah's final warning to the Israelites, he says, uh, you're a people who have no shame, you don't even blush anymore. Are you with me, church? And there's a, we're living in a time when there's a lot of people who need to have a little bit more uh, blushing and a little bit more uh, call for integrity. But we're not really going to be talking too much about that. Because the thing about shame and guilt, like any, any feeling, is that it's supposed to generate a response. And what happens in the life of the believer is that, as the word says, it's not the thing that comes inside of you that corrupts you, but it's what goes out. So what do we do with the shame and the guilt that is in our life? What do we do with that? Because as believers, the Lord has given us certain uh, instructions on how to digest those things in order to lead a godly life. However, the devil is able to use feelings and, and those types of things to really ruin the person if they don't know how to deal with that properly. Um, and so we're going to be talking about shame and guilt in that, in that context today. Uh, I, I, I was reading um, in the Gospels, and uh, I, I, wrote, I wrote a little thing down here called uh, Two Friends with Different Ends. And uh, I want to talk about that. I was actually going to title the message, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, but it was copyrighted, so we couldn't do that. Uh, so we got two friends with different ends. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew 26. We're going to be popping around in the Gospels here, back and forth. So our first friend, his name was Judas. And it says that uh, the Lord was sitting with Judas at the, at the Last Supper at the dinner table. It says uh, in verse 21, Matthew 26, 21. As they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. 
The Son of Man goes, well, as it's written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for the man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, spoiler alert, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus said to him, you have said so. So what we see here is that all the disciples, Jesus is sitting there with his friends, and we always talk about one of Jesus' greatest miracles is having 12 close friends in his 30s. And so he was there with all of his close friends at the dinner table. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas says, is it I? Knowing full well that Jesus knows that it's him. And Jesus says, you said it to be so. And so we see afterwards that Judas gets up and leaves the table. And Jesus and his disciples finish dinner, and we find them in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about his hour being at hand. They're praying. And uh, we see, we're skipping forward to verse 47. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, who was Judas, had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. You seize him. He came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Catch this part. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now we see in Matthew 27, at this point in time, Jesus has been taken away. He's been brought in front. He's been charged. He's been condemned. And uh, everything's starting to make sense that, that he's going to be getting... Uh, killed for what's going to happen. So we see in Matthew 27, verse 3, we have our friend Judas says, Now when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, he went, and he hung himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It's not lawful to put this back in the treasury since it's blood money. Oh, the irony. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And that was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them... For the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So we have a man named Judas, who Jesus knew was going to betray him, and was sitting down having dinner with him, breaking bread, uh, uh, drinking and eating, and, and spending time together. And Jesus says to everybody, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas, knowing full well that it was in his heart to do that, said, is it me who's going to do it? And he said, you said it to be so, because he already knew Judas had decided in his head. So Judas had gone and made a deal with the priest for 30 pieces of silver, which was obviously enough to buy an old field somewhere. And he was used that, and that's what the money he accepted to betray his Lord. Now, what's really interesting is that it says he changed his mind. You understand that shame and guilt, oftentimes, it's a, I wish I could go back and change my mind, right? It's a regret. I wish I could have gone back and changed my mind. And what's, ha what's interesting is that he realized he could not go back in time. He could not go back and undo the damage that he had done. The priest said, oh, the money we gave to you was fine, but the money you're bringing back to us was blood money. Well, Jesus wasn't even dead yet. 
And they called the money he was bringing back blood money. Why? Because the money was designed and directed to kill Jesus. It was a bought, paid for betrayal of a friend. And what did Judas said? Judas, who'd been living with Jesus for three years, he'd seen the fish, he'd seen the miracles, he'd seen Jesus walk on the water, he'd seen the dead come back to life, and he made a decision to sell out his friend for some money. But he changed his mind. What's really interesting, though, is that after he changed his mind, it, was, it says that he threw the money on the ground. Didn't even want the money anymore. I wish I could go back and change this. And then what does it say it did? It says he ran to a field and he hung himself. He took the guilt and the shame that he felt in that moment and he allowed it to bring him to death. Judas was living with secret sin. He was plotting against his friend. He was lusting over money. He was faking his position as a disciple and a believer while thinking in his head, how can he get ahead? And betraying his, money, his friend for money. Afterwards, the guilt turned to shame. The shame turned to condemnation. And the condemnation turned to suicide and death. Shame and guilt left unchecked leads to the activation of a spirit of condemnation in someone's life. Condemnation is a demonic verdict rooted in unbelief and doubt that God's grace is not enough. Condemnation belittles the value of the work of the cross in the life of the believer. John Piper famously wrote, In the case of well-placed shame for sin, the pain ought to be there, but it ought not to stay there. If it does, it's owing to the unbelief in the promises of God. Now, what's really interesting is that there's there's conviction and there's condemnation. And I was really praying about what's the easiest way to explain? How do I know whether I'm feeling condemned and it's the devil talking to me or if I'm feeling convicted and it's the spirit of God working inside of me? And uh, very clearly, it was last night, I was sitting there thinking about it and God said to me, conviction is a two-way conversation. I speak into the heart of the believer that the believer might repent and turn from where he was. It is a two-way conversation. I talk to you and you talk to somebody else. Condemnation is a one-way conversation. There is no talking back. Condemnation is you, 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 you. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to be with you. Nobody, nobody, nobody. You, 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 you. Condemnation does not require a response. It just requires defeat. Conviction requires and demands a, a repentance from the believer. Are you with me? Judas did not repent to anyone. What did he try to do? He tried to repent to the demons that brought him into the condemnation in the first place. He tried to negotiate with the devil about the sin that he had in his life. Are you with me? He went back to the people who were trying to kill Jesus and tried to get mercy and grace and forgiveness from them. They're not going to give you forgiveness, buddy. They're part of it. Are you with me, church? He had the wrong conversation with the wrong people. It was a condemnation, and he did not speak to the right people. And what we see is that it brought him to death. Now, I want to talk about Jesus' other friend in Matthew 26. He has another friend named Peter who had been with him about the same amount of time as Judas. He'd seen the same things. He'd done the same things. He's gone to the same places. Peter's a little louder, okay. <laughs> so in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says, uh, 
they were sitting in the garden, just to give you context. So this is after the dinner. Judas is gone. Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? So this is what's happening in the backstory. So it says, that after they had finished singing a song, they went to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered. Love this part. I like Peter. I think me and him would get along. Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said, truly I tell you this night, even before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will, deny, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. How many people are like Peter where we go, no way, there's no way I'm ever going to make that mistake. <laughs> there's no way I'm ever going to blow it. There's no way I'm going to lie. There's no way I'm going to throw a temper tantrum. There's no way I'm going to embarrass myself as a parent. There's no way I'm going to fail as a husband or a father. There's no way. Everybody else, they're going to do that. But not this guy. All right? That's Peter. And then we see that Jesus comes, and, and, and Judas comes, and, and um, they come, and they take Jesus away. And uh, even Jesus, Peter is so fired up when Jesus was there, it says even he took out the, a sword, and he, he cut off one of the ear, uh, ears of one of the, uh, the rulers, and, uh, and Jesus rebuked him for cutting off, to, for striking with violence. And uh, we see that then Jesus is taken away, and all the disciples go, now what? Jesus is gone, Right? And so we see in Matthew 26, verse 69, I knew, I didn't want you guys to be flipping too much around your Bibles. That's why I kind of kept it all in the same chapter. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just working for you here, Shirley. Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, you also were there with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, Hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said, Certainly you two are one of them. Your accent betrays you. You're not from around here. <laughs> right? Your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. What does that mean? It means I, if, if I'm lying, I'm dying. If I'm lying, I'm crying. I don't see no tears. I don't know that guy. On a stack of Bibles, I don't know that guy, right? He's invoking a curse on himself. What's he saying? I promise you, I swear an oath, there's nothing, blah, blah, blah. High to heaven, right? Hands to heaven. I don't know that guy. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And it says he went out and he wept bitterly. See, Judas wept bitterly and tried to fix things. It didn't work out for him. Peter realized he blew it. He denied Jesus. He said, if everybody else will fail you, surely I will stay. I'll be the last one. I'll be the last guy with you. This captain's going down with the ship. And two girls and a small crowd, he wasn't able to have enough of a backbone to say, yes, I knew him. Why? Because he saw what Jesus was going through. 
He saw Jesus was getting beat up. He saw Jesus was in front of the rulers. He saw people were, you know, it says that the soldiers were striking him. He said, prophesy to us, Rabbi, who struck you? They're beating him up. They're tar and feathering him. They're throwing him apart. And all of a sudden, Peter, who had so much confidence when he was with Jesus, when he's by himself in that moment, all of a sudden, he's got nothing left to stand on, and he starts falling apart. And what happens? All of a sudden, he realizes in the moment He's done exactly what he promised he wouldn't do. He blew it. And it says he wept bitterly. Now, I'm going to go here and we're going to switch over. So I lied. I'm going to repent. But I'm going to move into a different gospel and a different chapter. (laughs) So we see in John 21. So now, at this point in time, Judas is dead. We see the disciples have kind of scattered. Jesus has come back to life, praise God. If you don't know the story, come talk to me after. I'll give you the spark notes. But Jesus has died. He's been buried. And on the third day, he's resurrected. He's back in action. But the disciples are kind of mumbling and grumbling about him being back to life. But nobody really knows what's going on. So in John 21, this is what we see. And I really want you to catch this. Now, just as day was breaking, Jesus was standing on the shore. And the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. (laughs) That's what happens whenever you ask me if I have caught any fish. In that way, I am like the disciples. They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Very similar to how he introduced himself the first time. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, that's John, Whenever John writes about himself, he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because John, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and John said so, I'm the one he loved. Amen. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now catch this. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he threw all, he put, I think I typed this wrong. Yeah. He took off his outer garment. Oh, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped down for work. And he threw himself into the sea to go see Jesus. Now, I want you guys to catch this. Judas failed Jesus miserably. And what he did is he ran back to the place of sin. He ran back to the failure, and with his own hands, and with his own might, and with his own money, he tried to make right that which was broken on a spiritual level. He tried to fix it himself. And when he realized he could not fix the things that were broken, he could not put back together what was broken, he could not take the failure and undo it. When he tried to do that, when he realized he failed, the spirit of condemnation was so active in his life that the next place he went to after realizing he couldn't fix it, the next place he went to was to suicide. Why? Because he figured if he could not fix it, nobody could fix it. Are you with me? Now, Peter, on the other hand, wept bitterly. He blew it. He, was, he would have been embarrassed because he made this big scene about how he's the best and the brightest and the awesome person in all of the group, and he's the best one. And yet we all see that he's the one who failed, right? And we see that, that he couldn't even have enough confidence. You know, he said, I will die with you. Well, no, you, you're lying if you said you will die with him because you were so afraid to be in the same boat as him that you were lying to the little children to not be associated with that person. So you wouldn't die for Jesus. 
you just had confidence in your group, <laughs> right? And then it says, it says that he wept bitterly when he heard the rooster crowing. Why? Because the rooster crowing reminded him of the words of Jesus. Now, at that moment in time, we know that there would have been two things that would have been speaking to him. There would have been the spirit of conviction, and there would have been a spirit of condemnation. You blew it, Peter. Maybe you should try to go fix it. Maybe go try to tell those children about, see what happens. You know what would happen? Nothing. What's done has been done. So now what do you do? Well, now it's time to run. <laughs> it's adversity runner. Where do you run to when you've blown it? We see that Judas ran to himself. He ran to his problems. He ran to his own abilities. And he was failure. And he couldn't do it. And he gave up. Peter, on the other hand, it says he wept bitterly. And doesn't say anything else about Peter after that. Until he comes into contact with Jesus and with the disciples. But what do we see about Peter? Where was he found when the disciples came, when Jesus came back? He was found with his disciples. He was back to, to fishing, but he was with the people that he was with before. He wasn't alone. Are you with me, church? We're gonna, we're gonna catch someone. He was with disciples. He was with John. He was with the people that Jesus was with. And when he realized he failed, he could have ran out and tried to undo everything himself by himself. But he fa we found him with people who knew Jesus. Peter failed as a follower and a friend of Christ. But when he saw Jesus, he ran to him, throwing himself off of the boat and into the water to get to Christ. Peter has a recurring cycle of throwing himself off of boats to run to Jesus. Are you with me? Judas, on the other hand, was so filled with condemnation from his shame and guilt is that he ran to the field of blood. And Peter, filled with conviction, ran to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For it's a godly grief that produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas the worldly grief produces death. We're all running in this life. And we're all going to make mistakes. We're going to fall under obstacles. The question is, is where do we run when we've blown it? Where do we run when we've had shame, when we've had guilt? Where do we run when we wish we could go back in time and undo things? My first one is that we run to each other. Judas ran to a field alone, but Peter was found fishing with his friends. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Well, what does that mean? Whoever conceals his transgressions will not tr prosper. It's not saying that you're going to hide your transgressions from the Lord. He knows what's going on. But people who are dishonest about the things in their life that need to be fixed, and they don't want to recognize them, identify them, we're trying to hide them. Judas, for a long time, had something about money when he was walking with Jesus. Even when the girl was breaking the perfume for, for Jesus, he said, why are you even doing that? You could have saved that and sold it and da 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 da, da right? He had a thing. He did not recognize that he had a weird obsession with money as, it, as compared to as Jesus. Also, what was his position within the disciples? The treasurer. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more about that one. So in James 5, what does the Bible say? Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Listen, 
don't go tell the, the guy you stole the blood money from about your sins. Why? Because he's not going to pray for you. The church is meant to be a place that people can go to to talk about their sins, not because it is a gossip party and a gossip circle. The church is meant to be a place that can pray for people because freedom comes from prayer and prayer and freedom comes when the sin is no longer hiding, but rather being confessed one to another. Are you with me, church? Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Why? That you might be healed. Why? Because there's power in prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven opened and gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if any of you blows it, if any of you messes up, not if, <laughs> I know you all, when, <laughs> when you blow it, when you wander from the truth, right, and someone brings you back, let him know that whoever brings back a cinder from his wandering will save his soul from death, and it covers a multitude of sins. What's my big points here? You are designed for community. Are you with me, church? You are designed for community, you are designed for connection, and you were designed to not only pray for yourself, but to pray for others. And you were designed to not only go to God, but to go to one another to confess your sins. Why? Because their job, your job is to confess when you blow it, and their job is to support and love and believe and pray with you. Why? Because that sin that you have in your life, if it goes unchecked, will lead to a field of blood. But if you instead leave the field and go to the boat and spend time with believers with Jesus, they will bring you back from wandering and save your soul. Are you with me, church? Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, especially all the more as you see the day of his return drawing near. The church is a place of people that are not perfect, who are worshiping and in relationship with a perfect God. And the church is meant to look out for and to heal people and to pray for people and to connect with people and to have communion with people. Why? Because we don't want people to isolate and go to fields trying to fix things themselves. We would rather have them back in the boat. Are you with me? Fishing. You know, uh, I was just on this, this military course in, on the East Coast and it was uh, hell on earth. It was the closest I've ever felt to being on hell on earth. And it was, it was awful. It was a, a leadership course. They put us under high stress, nonstop stress, very, very little sleep, two to three hours of sleep a night. Uh, every single thing we tried to do was basically failure after failure. We had people crying after one day, grown adults crying. They've been in the military for 10, 20 years, crying. They want to go home. They're done. They're, this was a mistake. They hired actors and actresses, and you didn't know if they were 
refugees or terrorists or, or if they were friendly or what, and you'd get a mission and you have to lead this mission and there would be drill sergeants with, with checkboards, not even talking to you, just watching how you do things and you don't know what's going to happen and, and there was people falling apart and uh, you each had sections. Our section was uh, started with eight, went down to seven and went down to five and very quickly. It was only a couple weeks long, so if you do the math. And, uh, and, and what I realized very quickly is that failure is going to happen. Nobody got through perfect, okay? I, I finished number one on the course, and I failed over and over again, okay? I failed over and over again, and I finished number one. Why? Because the failure was implied. It was going to happen. Nobody was going to go through that course and say, I'm going to get gold stars in every single test I'm going to do. Failure is going to happen. Now, what I realized is that there's two types of people when there's failure on these high-stress courses. There's the type of person who fails, and he comes back to his group, and he goes, guys, this is where I failed. I failed here. We don't want to do that one. I was doing this, but we shouldn't have been doing that. We should have done this. When you go on your mission... Don't do what I did here because that was a failure. You have to do it dif differently because that way you can be successful. And then there's another type of person who fails and they go to the shacks and they go and they sit by themselves, they cry, they text their wife, they text their husband, they start thinking about whether they wanna be here. And do you know what happens? They really start spiraling very fast because they start having a one-way conversation with themselves about how they've blown it, they're not qualified to be there. They don't know how they got there. Everybody else seems to know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're just falling apart. Everybody else got better scores. They, they don't know. Now they got to do a rewrite, and they don't know if they're going to pass their rewrite. And maybe I shouldn't even be here. The amount of times I walk into the shacks and found one person sitting there on their bed all by themselves, and every single time I found somebody by themselves sitting in the shacks, do you know what their thought was? I think I'm going to go home every time. People fail. And the response is to either seek to improve, seek to get back on track, or to continue in the failure and to exit yourself from the situation. It's the number one thing condemnation wants to do is to isolate you. Do you know why? Because condemnation says that nobody likes you, nobody loves you, nobody wants you, no one wants to talk to you. And if there's nobody around you, there's nobody to prove that's wrong. Are you with me? Say, you failed, you've blown it, nobody wants... Listen, I just had a conversation with a person, not in this church, not in this city. And he's my age. We got married around the same time. And his marriage fell apart. Got divorced. Whatever. Not going to get into all the details. I saw him recently, not in this city, not in this church. I saw him recently, and we had a great time talking, catching up, asking how the kids were. He texted me four days later and said, I thought you would want to avoid me because I failed as a husband. I said, buddy, I, I wasn't married to you. <laughs> you didn't fail me, right? And I said to him, listen, I was like, we're, we're brothers. We're friends, man. Like, I, I can't come in and fix your marriage, but I, I'm still going to be there for you. Like, I'm not, you failed. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't hang out with failures anymore. Are you with me? Because that's what I've failed. I've, I've failed differently, but I've never failed like that. But listen, your, our friendship is not based on the conditions of whether or not you're perfect. But do you know what? Something inside him told him, Mike's still married. Mike's a pastor. Mike's a Christian. He's not going to want to hang out with you. Something told him that. Because he texted me and said, I didn't think 
You'd want to. Why? Because there was a shame and a guilt that came from that failure in the relationship, and it turned into a condemnation. And the condemnation was a one-sided conversation that told him that there was nobody else that was going to want to be around him anymore. It was trying to isolate him to the field. Are you with me, church? And you know what happened? We talked for a long time, and not in this, not in the city, not in this church. But next time, I, I made plans. I made dates already. We're going to get together. We're going to have a family time together and get together. My point in saying that is that many of us, when we've blown it, we look at the failure and we either try to hide it, because what will people think, or we try to hide ourselves because we've already decided what they all think. But the way the church is designed and the way that we've been instructed as a church to love one another and forgive one another just as our Lord has first forgiven us. What does the Bible say? That though the righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up seven times. Guess what? He was righteous before and he continues to be righteous. Why? Because the righteousness is counted based on his faith in Christ Jesus. And what is the evidence of his faith? The evidence of his faith is that he can get back up again and rely on the work that Jesus did on the cross that he is able to continue to go forward in his life. <laughs> Praise God. Don't isolate yourself. I got a group chat with like 30-ish guys. I have 30 guys, all Christian godly men that I respect. 30 guys in a group chat. And we go in there, and if I had something going on, I would go in there. And I might say it to the 30, or I might find one or two. And I expect the same. Why? Because we've been instructed. Listen, Jesus did not take one disciple. He took 12 disciples. And when Jesus was gone, where were the disciples? Yes, they went back to their old nets, but they were still in relationship with one another. Except for the one who dismissed himself. Are you with me, church? Run to one another. Confess your sins one to another. You don't have to confess them to everybody. Don't come tell me all your problems. <laughs> Unless you want to, whatever. I'll pray for you. I'm not opening myself up for counseling services, okay? But what I am saying, <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Praise God. Relax and have fun, okay? What I am saying is that there's value. Listen, me and my wife, we've had some very hard conversations. There, I, I started confessing to my wife sins where I failed as a husband before I knew her. Are you with me? I started talking to her about failures that I had done when I was in high school. She didn't even know me then, Right? Why? Because I had stuff in my heart from when I was in high school, when I had blown it, and I was hiding things, and I thought to myself, if she knew what I was like back then, it might change her perspective on me. Are you with me, church? We've had some very hard conversations, because guess what? Your friend Mike is not perfect, okay? We've had some very hard conversations, but do you know what happened after we had those conversations? We prayed for each other. We moved on. Our relationship is closer, and I walk a lot more free because she still loves me after she knows all the failures. And guess what? The Bible says that there is a man who sticketh closer than a brother, and that I'm supposed to love my wife as what Jesus loves the church. You know what that means? That means that if I can, in my imperfect relationship, as imperfect people, still be able to walk in freedom when I come forward with the 
sins and my failures, then guess how much the church can have with Jesus when we come forward as individuals to Jesus with our own failures and our own problems, and we find out that he still knew about it anyways, and yet he still loved us. It says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you know what that means? That means before you messed up, he already knew you, which means he knew you were going to mess up because when he created you, he knew the issues you were going to have. And do you know what that means? That means that the plans and purposes that he has for you have already taken into account all of the failures that you're going to have in your life. But the only thing stopping you from going through with the plans and purposes and destiny that you have in your life is whether or not you get back on the boat after failure or whether you isolate and dismiss yourself from the church and go out to the fields to die. Are you with me, church? Run to each other. My last point, because I only have two, is run to your father. Now, David, the man after God's own heart, knew a lot about shame and guilt, okay? He had many, many, many failures. But the Lord said that he was a man after his own heart. And he knew how to run to the Lord for forgiveness. You know, one thing that I noticed and, and is about David is that he never, he never had, he was never ashamed of God. Even his wife said, don't you have any shame? <laughs> he was taking, he was worshiping God and taking his clothes off and blessing God and, and acting a fool. He said, don't you have any shame? And she was embarrassed. David was never ashamed to run to God with his failures and his mistakes. Psalm 31, sorry, Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dry as the heat of the summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said... Hear this, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What did he say? I was falling apart, holding in all my failure. I was tired, I was weary, I was dry as the heat of the summer. But I confessed my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave me. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction is a holy, holy grief. Conviction happens when your life when your life is not equivalent to the standard of righteousness that Jesus died for. Conviction happens when you are not, when you are not living like Jesus. And conviction is a holy and good thing. But conviction is intended to create repentance. The Bible says that if the father does not discipline his child, he hates him. 
Discipline is an act of love. Conviction, though it doesn't feel good, is an act of love from the Father. But listen, conviction is meant to result in a repentance and a coming back to the Lord. However, when you ignore conviction because you don't want to go back to God, you don't want to talk to anybody in the church, you don't want to do nothing else, conviction turns, gets quieter and quieter. The, the shame and the guilt... The righteous shame and the righteous guilt from doing something that displeases our Father, that creates conviction. But when we start to ignore the Spirit, and we ignore the conviction, the Bible even talks about that the searing of the Spirit, the searing of the conviction, when you're living and you're ignoring conviction, ignoring conviction, ignoring conviction, ignoring conviction, do you know what happens? The, the voice of the Spirit of conviction gets quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And when the conviction gets quiet, the shame and guilt goes towards the condemnation. Why would you even ask God to forgive you? There's no way. Why would you even go to church if those people knew what you did last Saturday, last, Saturday, last summer, last Thursday when you were 12? If they knew, you would not. If you even went outside, if you told your husband, if you told your wife, if you told your kid, if you, if you, if you. What's happening? It's a one-way conversation telling you to be quiet, to separate, to go out, and to die, is what it is. The condemnation takes you out of communication from the fellowship of God and from the house of the believers. But conviction produces righteousness because conviction creates repentance. And my Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. Why? Because it's not under my own righteousness that I'm trying to get into heaven. It's under the righteousness that was purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus who had no wrong, who had no shame because he's turned my shame into glory. Amen. Amen. We'll close with this. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you. Some of you are going to have to come up here and get some prayer from the prayer team because some of you have things in your life that you've been holding on to for a very long time and it's not causing you freedom. It is for freedom. He has set us free. Are you with me, church? Some people say, how come I'm not walking in my healing? How come I'm not walking in my destiny? How come I'm not walking in my purpose? How come I'm not this? My friend, you've been dragging around an anchor of, of slavery and the anchor of bondage in your life. You've been going through this life with anchors on asking yourself, how come the wind doesn't take your sails away? There's wind. The wind is blowing. There's sails. He's giving you sails. But if you drop anchor... Because of all the shame and guilt and condemnation that happens in your life, all the times that you've blown it, all the thoughts that you've heard, all of the words that the devil has spoken in your life that you have taken and put as your Facebook status, you've taken and put as your testimony, you're now, you no longer believe and confess in the testimony of the word of the Lord, but rather your testimony and your confession is the condemnation that the devil's been telling you all the time. You say, what's your praise report? You spend 27 minutes talking about how the devil beat you down and 30 seconds talking about how God is still good. Are you with me? There are people whose testimony is they've identified themselves with the condemnation that the devil's been spitting in their life all the time. And Judas did that, and it didn't work out good for him. But Peter, knowing he blew it, knowing he failed, went back to his friends. You can't tell me that Peter and John did not have a long conversation those days on the boat. 
Can't tell me they never talked about it. And when Jesus came, what did Peter do? He did not go down into the hall of the boat because what if Jesus sees me? He told me I was going to betray him and I did. What does it say? It says he threw his coat on because he was naked. He wanted to cover himself up before going to Jesus. And he threw himself off the boat and he ran through the water to see Jesus. Why? Because that is the response of conviction in the Holy, in, in the Holy Spirit when it's activated in the life of the believer. Are you with me, church? I'm going to close with this. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. What did Paul say? Paul, a murderer. Paul, a legalist. Paul, a person who killed the church. He killed Stephen. He created the first martyr of the modern day church. Paul, the murderer of Christians. And what does he write? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm perfect. We know you're not perfect. We read it, okay? Knowing I did not obtain this or I'm already perfect, but... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do is I forget the things behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My friends, forget what is in the past. Confess what is in the past because there is healing in their confession. But once it's been confessed, and once it's been healed, and once the blood of Jesus has came, what can wash me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Some of you people need to start walking out of this building in a new freedom because you've been washed white as snow. You don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Condemnation has no place in your life. You are rooted and grounded in the truth and the gospel of Jesus. You are surrounded by Christians who love for you, who pray for you, who still fish with you in your failure, because Jesus is on the shore, and if you throw your coat on and jump in the water, his arms are open for you, because he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life, and he doesn't care what you did when you were 12, what you did at 12, but he cares what you're going to do with the shame and the guilt, whether it produces righteousness for discipline or condemnation, it's up to you, church. Father God, we thank you for I-9. We thank you for the people here, Lord. We thank you that we want to get off the boat. We don't want to isolate ourselves in the fields of condemnation, but rather we want to live and give and be like you, Lord. May you never, may we never believe the words of the enemy that cause us to isolate and to separate and to condemn ourselves and to be slaves in bondage and believe the lies of the enemy. But Lord, may you be so big and our lives, that even in our failures and even in our mistakes and even in our errors, Lord, that the Spirit of God is inside of us so much that the, that the conviction of the Spirit comes inside of us, that we have people in our life that we can talk to, brother, sister, this is my issue, this is where I failed, and I don't want you to fail, and I want you to pray for me so that I don't fail. And God, that we have a, that we have a Father in heaven that we can go to with boldness and great courage and ask for forgiveness because your word says that you are faithful and you are just to forgive if we confess, Lord. We don't want to be people with anchors of bondage and anchors of history and anchors of trauma and anchors of drama, but rather we want to be people whose sails are wide open, that the wind and the Spirit push us to go ahead and to glorify you in our lives and our bodies, that we might be able to sail well, Lord. May we have the testimony that I've forgotten what lies behead, but
but that we are pushing forward towards the upwards call of God. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. We thank you for abundance and no lack in every area of our life. We thank you that there is no spirit of sickness in the midst of us. We thank you that you cause our cup to runneth over, that you've made us the head and not the tail, that you are expanding our territories, you are expanding the tempegs, that you cause us to have dominion in this life from sea to sea, Lord. We thank you that your name and your word and your kingdom would be praised through every aspect of our life. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. We thank you for what you're doing, and we bless your name. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' precious name we say, amen. Prayer team's going to be up. I encourage you strongly. If you need to have prayer today, today is your day. Everybody else, we thank you for coming to I-9. God loves you, and so do we. You are dismissed. Everybody. Welcome to the After 9 show. For those of us just joining right now, I encourage you to go rewind all the way back to the beginning and listen to the service that we just heard. This is part three in our Adversity Runner series called Guilt and Shame. So Pastor Michael Quinlan delivered the message to us today and we're really, um, really inspired, really challenged, but really um, like uplifted in a sense as well. So I should have a friend joining me momentarily so we can discuss it in more detail. Hi, Tally. Here she comes. Yeah. So um, just before we get to that, I just wanted to give you a couple of reminders on some announcements we had. We have the play that goes wrong. That's going to be in October 1st to October 3rd. We'll be selling tickets for that starting next week. We have our youth finale this Friday. That's a Friday night to Saturday sleepover. And that will be, uh, it's free of charge, but if you have youth in grade 6 to grade 12, reach out to me, Quinlan at i9church.com, and we will get you more information on that. We also have child dedication taking place on September 10th. Sign up is next week for that. And we also have our fall classes, which will be starting in the fall. So stay tuned for more information on that. So I just wanted to give a little plug before we get into it. So Christine, yay. I said, I'm like, I think it's Christine joining me today. So I'm happy. It's me. Yay, I'm happy. Okay, so um, we did week three of our Adversity Runner series mm -hmm. on guilt and shame. Was there anything at first that really stood out to you? I hate to say this, but everything. Yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I thought you were going to say, I hate to say this, but no, nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was excellent. And uh the, uh, the, the difference between Judas and Peter yeah. was just amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, you've always thought about it, but he's brought it to life in yeah. such a way that you can actually relate. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't even think, okay, he went back to uh, his uh, partners, yeah. you know, his, his friends. Right. But you don't think about them sitting in a boat and possibly discussing what happened. Yeah, like it's not like they have a lot to do. You just don't think about it sometimes. Yeah. 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 So I, I thought that was really great. I, I just that. loved it. I love that too. I actually, when they were re when he Pastor Michael was reading through, uh, like Peter's redemption arc, when he was able to see Jesus once again, I felt like it was really easy for me to picture G Peter just like throwing himself in the water, yeah. you know. And yeah. I and I was just like, yes, like that's the greatest thing about Peter is that you know he. The things that he was told not to do, he does, <laughs> but he just keeps throwing himself back to Jesus, right? That's right, exactly. I, I mean, that. if anyone's had, like he said, a big mouth, yes, you know, bragged about himself, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, Peter was was that person. Yes. But in the, you know, but in his heart, he always loved Jesus. Yeah. 
and uh, that's why he was always able to go back to him. He had a reality in his life about Jesus that I don't believe Judas ever got. No. You know, that, that reality yeah. that forgiveness is there if you just choose to do it, if yeah. you choose to change your life. Like to think about it, he walked with Jesus all those years. Yeah. He was a thief and never once was he truly convicted yeah. of his sin and what he was doing. Yeah. And uh, I find that it's very important to pay attention to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order that we can repent of things and really change. Yeah, and you know what stood out to me too, which I've never really put two and two together, was uh, I believe Pastor Michael said Judas was the one when the woman broke the perfume oil. And yes, was that yes, Judas that was him. Who was saying, why is she doing this with this very expensive yes. you know, perfume? Yes. And how money was such a... You know, it was his such God. a lust for him. It was his God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that he was able to sacrifice like his best friend that's in right. order to, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Like they were following Jesus for three years at this point, maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they would have been like, I was talking to my youth about this this, this Friday with Peter. I said, you know, they, they wouldn't have just been like, oh, I'll see you on Monday and then go home. Yeah, like that's right. they were travelers like they yes. were together 24 7 they were sleeping together they were eating yes. together every yeah. meal everything so they were like brothers right so yeah. i'm like you have to put yourself in that perspective when judas betrayed jesus it wasn't just a man to another it was family right and i i think we've all been betrayed and yeah. we know how much it hurts yeah and how um you know we have to walk through that hurt and come into forgiveness yeah and be able to uh turn that hurt around and be able to minister to others about things that have touched us so deeply yeah. and wounded us that we can minister to others to help them along. Yeah. But the thing is, we have to listen to the conviction of God, but then we also have to listen to him say, hey, it's time for you yeah. to start getting healed. It's time for you to walk in forgiveness. Right. Work it out, you know, work it out. Just like Paul, yeah. work it out, yeah. you know, keep walking. Yeah. And uh, I will use you to minister to others because yeah. you're not alone and that's yeah. something pastor mike really stressed is we're yeah. not alone yeah and i thought it was cool too like you had already touched on this how you know you see the difference in the person that was um convicted but repentant right he ran mm -hmm. to his friends yes and then he ran to the father mm -hmm. right and so i think that's like yeah i think really the thing that really stood out to me the whole service was always like pastor michael always does a great <laughs> yeah, job he does but he when does. it came to peter running and throwing himself at the feet of jesus i'm like oh like, that's the kind of person that i want to be when, and I, whenever time's upside like whenever things are upside down and i'm losing control or you know i'm sinning whatever just run to jesus's feet like don't hesitate i liked his military example yeah about uh how he went to a course yeah. that was actually designed for failure. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was incredible. Yes. Because the truth is, in life, we are going to fail. Yeah. And I love the way he brought it out. Some of them went back and told them, this I did wrong, this, this, don't do this, I suggest you do this in order to be successful. That's right. And then there's the others that isolated themselves. Yeah. And unless they uh, change their minds, they were going to actually live a life where they feel like failures. Yes. And yeah. so it's that's why the body of Christ is so important. Yeah. To encourage one another and say, hey, I've been down that road. I strongly suggest you that's don't right. follow that. Yeah. Yeah. You that's know, right. Just changes. Yeah. So good. It's so good. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really thankful for the message today. And I think too, like the last three weeks, we've been talking about adversity runners and like, what are we running from? You know, we talked about 
uh, fear and shame. Was mm -hmm. it fear and shame? Decept no, fear and deception. Fear and safety last week yeah. was fear and safety. Okay. Deception was the first week, and then today was guilt and shame. Yeah. So just to see like the things in life that we need to address, that we need to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're living in that secret sin, like Judas was, like it was his it was his destruction, it was his downfall, and God doesn't want us for that that life. He mm -hmm. wants us for more. Yeah. And you know, as a community, as a church, we need to put ourselves in that place of vulnerability to say, like, I'm I'm brave enough to believe that you're not going to leave me when I tell you what's on my heart or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we're working on cultivating that atmosphere yeah. here. I've, I've seen it anyway. Amen. Yeah. You know something else that really ministered to me last week yes. was uh, about the deceiver. Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, I thought about it afterwards and I thought, really, how did the deceiver come about? Wasn't it from Rachel, his oh, yes. mother? Yeah. She's the one that actually planned all this deception. Yeah. And the son went along with the mother. And so that's something else that we have to put behind ourselves. Yeah. You know, sometimes we have been led astray by uh, people that uh, are our authority. Yeah. And we all have encountered that at times. Yeah. But you know what? We have to start getting enough wisdom and knowledge in the Word of God right. and the truth yeah. and know who we are in Christ Jesus to yeah. say, no, I'm Absolutely. not going along with that. Yeah. And you're going to run into uh, people that you are impressed with sometimes, and they're really not going the right way. Well, you need to run yeah. the other way. Yes. And, and continue to prosper in the things of God. Yes. And just be like Peter, get back in the boat with your yes. friends and work those issues out and become victorious right. and move forward. That's right. I agree. Yeah. And I, I blah, blah, blah. I even believe <laughs> the word says to flee, flee from that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, something I think that's going to be your biggest, it should be, it's mine always, but your biggest goal in this Christian life is knowing God's word hiding it in your heart yes. and knowing it in and out. Like I talked to Pastor Brian all the time. I said, I can recite verses really well, mm -hmm. but I have a hard time with references. Like, Me it's too. It's just tricky. You and I are partners in that one, yeah, girl. But I just like, I want to know God's word like Pastor Rick does when he can just be like, oh yeah, you're mean uh, <laughs> First Corinthians 14, 21 to 27, you know, like, uh, you know, I want to, <laughs> I want to just know it with yeah. all of my heart yeah. so that when times come, when things are difficult, when the waters are rocky, when I'm hearing things that I'm not sure are true or not, I can know, wait a That's minute. Right. That's not what God's word says. That's right. right. Exactly. And you know, the other thing is about Paul. He mentioned Paul. He yes. was a murderer, This is our closing cetera, word. So give it. Et cetera. Yes. And Paul pressed forward. He did. He didn't get stuck in his past. That's right. And I encourage everyone, press forward. Yes. Allow God to love you, yes. lead you, and guide you, and have the victory that he intends for you in yep. your life. That's right. You are not lost, and you are not forgotten. God loves you, and he is for you, Amen. and we are here for you. So if you need um, someone to talk to, if you need someone to pray with you, I encourage you just to reach out to us, um, info at i9church. Give us your phone number. We'll be happy to have one of our mm -hmm. team reach out to you and just pray with you and talk to you, right? Because we don't want anybody to be stuck in a place of secret, secret sin or shame Amen. or feeling like they're too far gone because you're not. I, I believe it with all of my heart that there's a place for you. God has a home for Amen. you. Amen. Amen? Yes. Okay, so we are done, Larry. That's time. So we will see you tomorrow here on YouTube or Facebook or Rumble at the Lighthouse at 630. And we hope you have the best Sunday ever. Amen.